We got a lot of carbon scoring here. Looks like you boys have seen a lot of action. Welcome back to Carbon Scoring, a podcast where we talk about Star Wars, in case this is anyone's very first time listening. My name is Taylor. If there is no path before you, create your own Davis. And I'm joined by my co-hosts, Aaron, embrace others for their differences, for that makes you whole. Robertson. Hello. And Ben, the search for truth begins with belief. Mackie. Hey, hey, guys. And this is our final episode talking about Star Wars The Clone Wars. That's not true at all. We're going to be talking about The Clone Wars in many of our episodes. But this is us <laughs> covering Episode 7. Only Episode 7? Are we on Episode 7? No. We lost We lost count of the numbers a long time ago. <laughs> but, yeah, we're going to be covering Season 7. Did I say Episode 7 earlier? Is that what that you was? Did. Ah, yeah. Well, we are going to be covering season seven of the Clone Wars. But before we do that, in the space where we would usually talk about pop culture, there is a surprise here in my recording studio and Aaron's recording studio uh, yes. that you get to experience with us. Ben went to a Comic Con this past week and sent both Aaron and I. Very large USPS boxes. Um, I'm just assuming that those two events are connected, Ben. Can I assume that you sending us large yeah, boxes and the Comic-Con? Yes. yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. But, yes. Ben... I, I, I was wondering if you were going to get it, because I... Uh, yeah. The only condition Ben had for sending us some wonderful boxes, probably from Comic-Con, uh, but maybe not, was that we open them live on air together mm -hmm. so we're gonna do that so exactly um aaron i have heard that we should be minorly concerned about the fact that um i might have your box and you might have my box yeah interesting aaron does your box feel stupid light yes okay never mind you guys have the correct boxes hey <laughs> all right great let's open these boxes aaron yeah. All right. Open, open them. I, 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 want, I want to hear you guys scream. That's well, that's on hopefully not record in the immediate because I'm using a knife. Yeah, I'm using. A, I mean, yeah, yeah. Don't 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 cut yourself, guys. I'm using okay. just a letter. Also, opener. I'd like to say a big thank you to USPS for like getting this thing across the country in like two days. Yeah, yeah. support the post office, man. Yeah, support your local post offices. Aaron and I will both throw out that the boxes we're holding both say that they will be currently delivered two days from today. So we got these just in time for this episode. Ooh, we got a purple bag. bag. Purple okay, bag yeah, with yeah. silver. You both got purple bags? Hi, yes, yep. indeed. I could use a giant okay. dice bag. I have giant dice. Okay. Go nice. ahead and open up your purple bags, gentlemen. I can see a Black Series figure. Hey! Ho! Oh my god! 
you both are very welcome and Merry Christmas, gentlemen. Thank you for doing carbon scoring with me. I've been having a blast doing with this with you guys so far, and I wanted to share my appreciation for both of you. Is this D. Bradley Baker's autograph? Oh, you got D. Bradley oh Baker? Oh my god. Yes, that is D. Bradley Baker's autograph. He is a wonderful person. He's great. And Taylor, I got you. I have to look up who this only... man is. It's Steve Bloom. The one, the only, the king, the legend. The guy who played Spike Lee in Cowboy like Bebop. Spiegel. He plays <laughs> Spike yeah. Lee is the like, director. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Spike Spiegel. And then he also played Mugen in Shiremary Sam Plue. He's Gilmon in Digimon Tamers. Uh, he is like the he... man who is done like a thousand voices and more. He's the voice of Toonami. Uh-huh. Oh, he is awesome. also the guy who played Zebrelios in Star Wars Rebels. Yeah, and that is what is written here. Um, For those that cannot see what Aaron and I just pulled out of bags, I don't even know what Aaron got, but I'm holding a Black Series figure of uh, Zeb from Rebels, and it's autographed in purple. It says, Taylor! Exclamation mark. Carabast! Exclamation mark. Someone's signature, and then Zeb. And uh, Steve, Steve Bloom. Steve Bloom. Yeah, this is awesome. Be- uh, Aaron, what in detail did you get? I have a uh, Kenner Vintage Collection Series action figure. Ooh, those are of nice. My favorite clone, Captain Rex, signed by the voice of the man himself, D. Bradley Baker. It says, to Aaron, D.B. Baker, Rex. And this is absolutely amazing. I'm looking on Google at your action figure. That's awesome. This is awesome. Thank you so much, Ben. Hey, no problem, guys. Like this, I I was going and I was like, I could totally like make this like an on-air thing. And I thought it'd be a lot of fun. That's going up on a wall. That's not coming out of the package. This (laughs) is going to be like the one collector item that I own. (laughs) Welcome to having more items to your collection, guys. Oh my God. Oh no. Everything's okay. <laughs> Taylor drops it. And then Taylor died. No, I tried to lean it up against a poster that I have framed, and the poster fell behind the bookshelf. So now my Zeb thing has its very own spot. Yay! Because <laughs> um, that's why I asked you. Yeah, Ben, I was about to say, um, you messaged me and asked me who my favorite Rebels character was. Um, were mm-hmm. Did you have the opportunity to get the autograph of the entire Rebels cast? No. Okay. Okay. Remember, remember, Hayden Christensen was gonna is there. Yeah. And he made himself so inaccessible. I was trying to get a, a Hayden Christensen era action figure with his signature on it, but then he was like two hundred dollars. I'm like, Taylor, we're, we're really good friends, and I've known you for like twenty <laughs> plus years. Um, but not two hundred dollars. Well, see right, Hayden right. Christensen, that's why stand. you were so mad. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I was so mad. Well, yeah, a $200 autograph becomes expensive when you buy three of them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, what I meant, Ben, was, uh, sorry, uh, you messaged me and said, who's your favorite Rebels uh, voice actor? Was uh, the Scooby-Doo guy there? Scooby-Doo guy? The the voice actor of Kanan. The voice actor of Kanan was Fred in the live action. Freddie Prince Jr. Yeah, Freddie Prince Jr. Oh, no, 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 that would have been amazing. So who was there was like Janet Varney from Legend of Korra, 
uh, Johnny Young Bosch, uh, Walter, the original Black Ranger, Amy Jo Johnson. That's cool. Uh, John Cena. And his name is John Cena! He's gonna get in the ring and- uh, Tim Curry was there, but he was a little expensive and... Like, As he should be. Too. No, he was. But what made me mad was, like, I forgot to mention this last time, why I thought Hayden Christensen had the gall, was he was more expensive than Tim Curry. Oh, yeah, you didn't earn that. Oh, that's no, the only thing you had to say. That puts a whole new light on that conversation. Stand down, Hayden. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I got... I actually got a, a, that profile picture of me um, with Steve Bloom, Taylor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like right after I got everything signed. I had him sign a, a Samurai Champloo DVD set for me as Mugen. Um, but he he wasn't excited for his older work, but he was super excited to talk to me about his Star Wars Rebel stuff because they took him to the Skywalker Ranch. Yeah. Because he had the Skywalker Ranch code on while he was there and he is like a big star wars nerd and is actually teaching acting classes for voice work and so if anybody wants to i'm going to do a shameless plug for steve bloom he has acting classes that he offers i might have to there look into go. that I, w- I was thinking about doing it i mean you'd be learning from one of the best what's really funny ben is you um messaged me who from all you all ben said to me was who is your favorite I think you said, what is your favorite part about Rebels? Uh, and I yeah. talked about the Bendu for a little bit because, boy, let's talk about the Bendu at some point. Oh. But Gosh. Um, oh, he said, well, who's your favorite from the cast? And um, I said, uh, probably Zeb. And then you had posted that picture of you and Steve Bloom. And I looked at it, commented on it, checked him out on yeah. IMDb to be like, who is Steve Bloom? Did not see that he was Zeb. <laughs> Missed that completely. <laughs> this moment. I'm so glad that went way over your head. W- flew over my head. Uh, this moment was yeah. me connecting those dots. That's amazing. The number this of is... times you've heard this guy's voice. Although, to be fair, I also, I know who Steve Bloom is very well and had no idea he was Zeb. Yeah, I didn't realize he was Gilmon in Digimon, which freaked me out. Oh, yeah. um, because, like, I've been listening to him since I was nine. Yeah, right? <laughs> he had six monikers in the 90s. Six names he went under. Wow. But, like, my prized possession that I walked away with Comic-Con, it's not Star Wars related. Um, I'm, I'm, I bet he would be more than happy to do voice work for Star Wars. Um, but Johnny Young Bosch. Who's that? And... Johnny Young Bosch was originally like a Power Ranger in the 90s, but he also played oh. a specific character, a specific character in an anime series called Bleach. And Bleach is like my all time favorite. So I got him to sign oh. the last the last manga issue in the series because they're going to do the new uh, season of it in anime form and probably a movie um, here this next year. That's awesome. Nice. Mm-hmm. So it's on my desk, like above everything, signed. That's like my like number one collectible prize possession thing that I don't think I'll ever sell in a million years. <gasps> oh my gosh! Sorry, I'm listening, and I and that's awesome, Ben. Uh, I'm just rolling through IMDb and looking at things that Steve Bloom has oh, done. Steve, Steve Bloom got a uh, what is it? Uh, a Guinness Book of World Records 
title in 2012 is the man who's played the most like video game voices. Nice. Like he's been in games that you don't even realize. Well, the gasp that I just had was um, a fan made film. Uh, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. It is called, um, let me find it again. I believe it is called the birth of a monster. Um, I'm, I'm rolling through IMDb looking at what star Wars credits he does have. Um, there were several, um, he was in rebels as Zeb, obviously he was in the Mandalorian just in the background. He was in star Wars, Jedi fallen order in the background. He was in Mm -hmm. Vader immortal, which is the, um, yeah. In both of them. The VR games as someone, yeah, yeah, someone named Admiral Carius. He was in uh, Star Wars Resistance, but he Mm -hmm. was in, let me find this because I scrolled away from it. Yeah, here it is. Uh, He was in a fan-made film that I was only aware of being on YouTube called Birth of a Monster. I will put it in the show notes. It is so great. And I don't want to say too much about it because to describe it is to kind of give away the ending of what it's all about. So I'm going to put it in the show notes. It is called Birth of a Monster. It is wonderful. Watch it. I'm going to send it to you guys later. Hang out. Watch it. I think it's 20 minutes long. And you will be like, holy crap, that was cool. Yeah, I have not seen that. So please do. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. But um, yeah, Dee Bradley Baker, Steve Bloom, like. Like, most excellent people to meet, if you get a chance. If you've watched anything voice acted, you've heard one of the two of them, at least. Exactly. Yeah. Like, they're, they're everything in the industry, and their booths were right next to each other, too. I'm going to throw out a real wild card memory from the 90s, maybe early 2000s, and see if you two have this. But do you remember when um, McDonald's, like, took acid, and they made those like <laughs> weird live action movies where like Ronald McDonald was Ronald McDonald, but they had like a puppet that was his dog. And there were like human children that would come visit him and talk to him. They kind of had a Pee Wee Herman thing going on. It would, it would be live action for a while and then it would transition over to cartoon Um were they like? It sounds like an, an 80s thing. Well, it, it's no. It, they tried to come back. They tried to bring that stuff back. Was and, this like in the 2000s when like everybody tried to like reboot the stuff from the 80s? Yeah, that they thought it would was be like successful marketing campaigns. It was like 2000 on the nose. They used the artists that did like, Hey Arnold, and huh. um, anyway, all of that to say, if you're not remembering this, it's less impressive, and I'll cut this. But D. Bradley Baker plays. Um, Ronald McDonald's dog, who is this like, <laughs> who is this like, are you sure you want to do that boss like character? And I was watching it with my daughter and flipping through the credits and I was like, of course, D Bradley Baker's here. I mean, I wish you could see my face right now because I have no idea what you're talking about. And that sounds yeah. horrifying and amazing. <laughs> It is. It's, I, I love weird projects when people are like, hey, I need work. And then their agents are like, here you go. And they're like, do I gotta? They're like, you want to eat, right? <laughs> going to watch that tonight and then have nightmares. Um, Aaron, send me a picture of uh, you, what what Ben got you. And I'll send you a picture of what Ben oh, got me. You know I will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, man. They were so excited for when I told them about it. They're like, oh, I'm so excited for you. That's going to be so much fun to have it live on air. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much for that, Ben. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. 
Ben was so confident to the point of being cocky. He's like, I got you guys the greatest Christmas gifts. And I'm like, boy, he sure is talking himself up, isn't he? And he won. He won. Literally, literally used those words. Aaron is not summarizing that. Ben was like, I'm cocky about this and it's fine because I'll be right. <laughs> I was I was setting you guys up for a don't get cocky kid meme. And you guys like, didn't uh... even like get anywhere near it. <laughs> Fake fans cancel the show. <laughs> Good. <laughs> let's uh <laughs> let's attempt to do our show. <laughs> 20 minutes in, let's talk about episode 1. <laughs> yes. We are in season 7, a collection of three story arcs. The what I'll call the Bad Batch arc, the uh Martinez sisters arc and uh, the, the best arc of the whole show. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's putting a lot on it up front, but you're not wrong. Um, let's dive right in. The first four parter is uh, a collection of episodes titled the bad batch, because this was the very first time we ever saw them. Uh, and then a distant echo on the wings of Kiridax and unfinished mm-hmm. business. The bad batch starts As Jedi Generals Anakin Skywalker and Mace Windu lead the campaign on an axis to defend the main Republic shipyard from Admiral Trench, they find that the Separatists' droid army had always been one step ahead of them in every engagement so far. Commander Cody, Captain Rex, and the Bad Batch, an unorthodox group of clone commandos with desirable mutations, go behind enemy lines to discover the source of the Separatists' series of victories, Inside the Separatist Command Center, Rex hears a mysterious signal feeding battle strategies to the droid army, leading him to believe that the lost clone trooper Echo may still be alive. Now, this is a big deal if Mm -hmm. you were someone who really kept up with the Clone Wars while it was going on, or even close to. Because we had almost a full six years, March of 2014 to February Mm -hmm. of 2020, before we got to see these episodes. Oh yeah. And like finally hearing something about Echo. Like it's like what? Well the last time we saw Echo he died. Yeah. Or so we thought. Exactly. The, the last time we saw Echo. I don't remember the name of the episode. But it was in the I'm going arc. back to find it. For sure. Uh, it's in the arc that features um, Jedi Master Even Peel. And they're breaking him out of the Jedi prison torture thing. And and Tarkin is there. Yeah. I believe that was season three. That was... Yep, there's season three episode... I'm just going to do this over again. Hold on. I'm going to call it Hip, hip Shot 16. <laughs> You're very close. Season three, episode 19. Oh, uh, it is the end of the Citadel arc, and that aired March 4th, 2011. So nine real time years later, we get this hint that Echo might be alive. That was kind of a big deal, especially for a season opener. And if I'm not mistaken, Echo was one of the clone troopers that was in that original core group of clones we see come up through the training on Kamino, correct? He was a member of Domino Squad, yeah. 
And in fact, uh, Echo and Fives at this point, well, no, at this point, because Fives we lost last season. So Echo is the last living member of Domino Squad who we've been thinking for a long time was already dead. Yep. Um, This episode is great. This episode has a really fun bit in it in the beginning that touches on Obi. How did Obi-Wan never honestly know about Anakin and Padme? And like they've got um, Rex covering for Anakin poorly and Obi-Wan just acknowledging that he knows that Anakin is talking to Padme. Um, Well, yeah, the whole like say hello to. Yeah, say hello to Padme. You know, say hello to Padme for me. And like. Anakin kind of did like a look, like kind of like a like a, a hesitant, like kind of like upset, angry, like pause. Yep. Like you're a child getting caught, and Anakin's like, uh, uh, <laughs> you're a child with well. anger issues <laughs> getting caught. <laughs> he really doesn't have a leg to stand on, though. Yeah. No, no, and I think that's like that was the point to kind of give Obi Wan a little bit more depth with Satine, and so like Obi Wan gets it. But yeah, this is our first uh, this is our first glimpse of the Bad Batch. Also, um, I don't remember if it's immediately clear or if just us nerds immediately knew, but they're called Clone Force ninety nine, and that is clearly in reference to the Clone ninety nine, who we remember mm-hmm. from seasons past of inspiring. Uh, was it was it Echo? Who was the clone that ninety nine spies? That was five. Oh, no, it was heavy. It he was, specifically was inspired heavy, but yeah, Domino Squad kind of had a special spot for him. So yeah, it would have been Echo Fives heavy. Um, I missed somebody. Droid bait and cut up. Yep, Droid bait. I was like, I think cut ups one, but yeah, Droid bait and cut up. Yeah. Um. So that's cool. He gets uh, uh acknowledgement moving forward through the through the military like that, and this this group of clone what did it say clones with uh desired mutations desirable mutations mm-hmm. we've got we've just got the clone a team we've got strong guy we've got <laughs> sniper man we've got um hunter who is who hunts an expert tracker right <laughs> and uh who am i missing tech oh yeah and tech we've got smart guy too <laughs> Wow, great description. The, it, it, am I wrong? Tell me tell me that I am wrong. <laughs> so you've got Sergeant Hunter, who is the leader of the squad, impeccable tracking abilities, heightened senses, and it's even implied that he can sense electromagnetic fields somehow. Yep. So, you know, you can't exactly sniff out a droid army, but he can feel their electro signature, whatever. That's kind of a neat thing, but they never tell us how it works. Uh, you have Tech, who is the smart guy, as Taylor pointed mm-hmm. out. Uh, all kinds of gadgets. He's always the one fixing all of the things. He keeps the ship flying. He updates their armor and weapons. He hacks into everything that needs to be hacked. You have Crosshair, who is the sniper. And, you know, really, that's just kind of his whole character. He's the salty veteran uh, he hits targets from very far away. He's exceptionally good at it. Mm-hmm. One of the things I appreciate that they gave his character is that um, I don't, I don't, I think it comes in at the end of 
this arc, but at one point he's running down a hallway throwing like magnets on the wall, and you're like, what is he doing? Oh, yeah. And oh, then yeah. he fires a shot indoors that just ricochets and ricochets and ricochets off of all of these things he's thrown around and takes out like a whole hallway of droids. Like a whole squadron of them with one shot. That was a really yeah. cool bit. Uh, and then you have my favorite out of the Bad Batch, uh, Wrecker. Ricka. 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 We'll get into the that pronunciation of it later. But yeah. you get Wrecker, who uh, is just a big, dumb guy who loves shooting droids and, and smashing droids things. and throwing droids and blowing stuff up. And yeah. he is a delight. Mm-hmm. Absolutely agree 100%. Very much that that uh, a distilled spirit of yee yee. <laughs> Fair enough. Ben, I have a kid now. I don't know what that means. Oh, <laughs> in, in, like like redneck, like you know. It's it's not like slang. It's like slang when like we were kids and stuff. And, you know that yee You know, it's just like oh, uh, you know. There's yeehaw okay. rednecks who actually like live on farms and ride horses. And then there's yee-yee rednecks who live in town and drive lifted trucks. Ah. I thought it was a new kids thing that is current and that I was expected to know pop culture suddenly. And I was like, I don't. I just know Star Wars. you expect me to be, like, up to date with children nowadays? (laughs) I'm... No. Oh, we're totally yeet. Nope, not even half... Okay, I at least know that. Um, (laughs) No. But yeah, so you you get, you know, Taylor pointed out the A-team, and you really do get some of, like, the classic 80s action stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Rex and Cody are walking through the base alongside the airfield and all that, and they're talking about, oh, I've never heard of these guys, and, like, I looked mm-hmm. them up. He's like, oh, they've got a 100% success rate. And, oh, I don't, yeah, they win, but look at how they do it. And then just yeah. as they're having all of these conversations about, oh, these guys are loose cannons, they come in for a landing without clearance going way too fast and just throw half of the cargo on the airfield just off a cliff, launch it everywhere, almost land on top of a golf cart full of clones. Great time. <laughs> I like, though, how like Rex was complaining about that because he does that stuff all the time with Anakin. Oh, constantly. If Rex is worried about how loose cannon you are, then that's a bit of an issue. I seem to remember this happening and Anakin being like, oh, who's this? Like, not caring that... (laughs) Like, everyone else is running around and Anakin's like, oh, are these the new guys? (laughs) No, Anakin's, like, stoked. He's like a kid on Christmas. He's like, oh, we're gonna go, um, uh, go tear some stuff up with these guys? Half the base is in panic and he's like, oh, they're cool. Anakin's like, you guys have a teammate named Wrecker? Let's go! (laughs) Um, And uh, moving forward from there, we step into the second episode, A Distant Echo. Anakin, Rex, and the Bad Batch launch a dangerous rescue mission under the assumption that Echo might be alive. Their last infiltration leads them to Skeko Minor, where after a brief skirmish with the natives... They trace Echo's signal to Wat Tambor's facility. There, they discover Echo alive, used as a living computer by the Techno Union. So, yeah. Um, they literally just have him, like, 
wired into a big machine. It's the most like sci-fi horror that we that we get in Clone Wars since that evil science evil German scientist that tried to create a uh, pandemic or oh, yeah. tried to create a virus. Um, they yeah. even in the shot where like the thing pops out open and echo like hangs out of it they even use a theremin in the music to do like an old fashioned like it's awesome it's uh it's a good scene it was not funny in the scene it was genuinely disturbing but your impression was pretty funny yeah Uh, i think what i appreciate is like Throughout the whole episode, though, you're like, it feels like Echo's not actually there. And then when you get there, you're just like, Echo. And you're like, oh, oof. They have Cody talk to Rex about it. Uh, a couple of the members of the Bad Batch say something about it, including Crosshair being a jerk, which yeah. you will see happen again. And then you even have Anakin himself being like, you need to be prepared for the fact that your friend is not going to be there. But. Do you know who had hope, though? Padme. Padme's like, you've put Rex through hell and back again on so many missions, and he's trusted you and done all the stuff. Like, you gotta do this with him. And piggybacking on that, because that is what convinces Anakin to go and do this. But we've given Anakin a lot of crap for his character, for his, you know, overall mental health. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is worth pointing out that when they're having their last minute discussion, when Anakin is like, I need you 100% here, he tells Rex, he's like, I believe you. Yeah. Rex says, Echo's in there. He says, I believe you, but you need to be ready just in case. I, and that's a I big point for is, Anakin. No, I think this whole episode is Anakin being a good friend. Like, 100%. Yeah, oh, yeah. definitely. I feel like season seven's an ode of Anakin trying. And yeah, I'll, I'll explain more of that. It brings up how close he was to being a good person and how, how hard he was taken advantage of. Um, I also want to throw out that the, the way this episode feels with all of the clones telling Rex to be prepared, telling Rex, you might be wrong. It's really reminiscent of five's whole thing just a few episodes ago where we watched uh five struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle and not be able to do it it's it's almost like cathartically like it cathartic release that fives gets there and echo is there and he's able to help him it's like not the same crazy clone story once again and all of the clones are like holy shit we gotta what is this <laughs> yeah well yeah because they kind of like uh if, if you look at it they kind of like low botted um uh because they, they bring it up in uh rebels is like a computer implant um into yeah echo and kind of like make him you know more machine than man i would i would be really interested to see some star wars literature explore if the techno union were the ones the the techno union's work with echo somehow led to what happened to the character lobot that would be really really cool that'd be interesting i'm wondering if also the techno union had anything to do with uh vader's suit 
Yeah, there could be. Um, it's possible, at, yeah. Because, I mean, think about the legs that are on Echo. Yeah, it's worth, it's worth mentioning, because we haven't, when Echo is found, uh, he's been heavily experimented on by the Techno Union. They get him out of this, like, pod kind of thing. They unplug him from it. It looks like it's from the Matrix. It's like something that looks like it's from the 50s. He's been bisected, so his legs are droid legs. Uh, Mm -hmm. One of his arms below the elbow has been replaced by a droid arm with a sprocket. Yeah, with a sprocket that can unlock doors and everything. Um, And he has these little inputs all over his shoulders, up his neck, and all over the back and top of his head. Which, yeah, to Taylor's point... Uh, Tech has to run some programming on the computer that he's plugged into to desync him so that they can even unplug these four cables that are stuck in him mm-hmm. because his brain is not connected to his body at this point. They have to reconnect that. Horrifying. And then episode ends there. And then we go into wings of uh, Korea Docks. Kiridax, I think is how you say that, but... Kiridax. On the wings of Kiridax. Anakin, Rex, and the Bad Batch escape Wat Tambor's facility with Echo and fight their way past the Techno-Union droid forces. They retreat to the native village and, with the help of the locals, defend Echo from reinforcements sent by Wat Tambor to recapture the Techno-Union's experiment. Uh, that's the end of the synopsis. I'm going to say that quite a few times Wat Tambor is just like out in public arguing that Echo is his legal property. He exclusively refers to him as an experiment. Yeah, he I'm, I'm pretty sure like cites at one point like that is that is something we salvaged from an explosion and we did all of this science on him. We are the techno union. We will sue your ass if you do not give us our our legally obtained experiment back well it's like you know he's an abandoned like person we own him now (laughs) yeah and they're like he's he's also alive and definitely coming with us yeah they they get him out and the first thing we hear uh in in anyone on the other side any separatists response is watt tambor screaming that they stole techno union property get them yeah. Um, it's worth mentioning at this point, we haven't mentioned it yet, um, the weird battle droids that are here. Um, yes. I haven't it's checked like the in. Extra appendages. Yeah, they and and their faces are a little bit different and they 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 walk their like fam- they walk like flamingos. Um I have to imagine, I have not researched this, but I have to imagine that they are like early concept art of what the battle droids could look like. And then that got scrapped and put in the use later pile. And we ended up getting the B1 battle droid in in uh, the Phantom Menace. And Dave Filoni being Dave Filoni was like, what concept art have we not touched yet? And uh, we got these weird battle droids. They are a very interesting design, and I almost feel like they would be a better base unit for the droid army than the B-1. Yeah. But uh, well, we don't get to see a whole you, lot of them. Because if you wanted to, like, you could totally, like, put more guns on this thing, because it's got, like, T-Rex arms, and then, like, arms and blasters up top. 
Yeah. Well, its guns are mounted really similar to the Droidica, so it's got two of them, and they're actually attached to the body as opposed to a B1 that holds its gun. Well, they don't have proper hands. They have, like, little claw things. Yeah, but, it, I, I mean, I feel like an attached, a droid that can't accidentally disarm itself, which we have yeah. seen B1s do, is you know, probably a safer bet. I've always found it a interesting choice that the Trade Federation chose to build droids and then build blasters and then build tanks that the droids that the droids can drive when they could have just built like speeder droids or tank droids. And I know they got Which they there. They did with the vulture droids and the hyena bombers. Like I said, I know they got there, but <laughs> I, I don't know. I guess it is sort of realistic to be like we started out as a green like droid making company with uh, good <laughs> ambitions, this droid is going to be able to like walk around and do great things. And they were like, "Give it a gun, make fifty billion of them." <laughs> and the person that made them is like, "Oh no, they are going to be bad at this." And they're like, "Too late, already bought fifty billion units." You said something about a green droid production facility, and I'm just like, "Yes, our uh, gluten free, vegan friendly, <laughs> free range." Grass-fed, grass-fed B one battle droids. <laughs> I really, I really appreciate a bit. I think it's in the first or second season where a group of B one battle droids notice a dead B one battle battle droid, and they're like, "Hey, look! There's Rick. He's dead. He's one of those old battle droids that die when the central computer dies. We're all individuals." Roger, 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 Roger. Oh yeah. <laughs> I love we that think bit. for ourselves. Roger, Roger. <laughs> I love yeah. that bit so much. Well, I'm wondering if the Techno Union like kept like prototypes and like tested them out at their facilities because these could also just be their their like security droids that they thought were better than the B ones. I think that they are. That has some argument. There, there's also. Uh, I think it would be fair to say that Watt Tambor is the kind of person who probably saw the Trade Federation take off with battle droids and was like, my company can do that too, and made a poor knockoff. Mm. And was like, look, we we can make battle droids too, buy from us. But they, they made the great value battle droids and they didn't get shipped or used. <laughs> so he just uses them as personal protection. So we... No, 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 but the Techno Union, they did, like, a lot of the tanks. They did all the heavy artillery stuff that the um, the Separatists had. Yeah, a lot of the big guns, a lot of the... Ironically, the Techno Union made a lot of the non-droid components of the droid army. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was unaware. A lot of, like, the spider walkers and stuff like that, that was Techno Yeah, Union. we don't see... Many of them in Revenge. We don't see many of them in Clone Wars, but uh, you forget about the Spider Walkers and those big guys on wheels that just like launch rockets. Um, it was like and, a Geonosis thing, and then they were like, "Never again." Right. <laughs> well, it's funny you mentioned the Spider Walkers because we actually see two of them in this episode. Oh, that's true. They uh, when they're making their last stand in this native village, the uh, the local species has been trying to avoid the war. Rex brings Echo up to the front. He's like, this is what they do to us. They're going to come after you at some point, too. Uh, You don't have the option to avoid this war. It's coming to you whether you want it or not. And 
they take out the basic droids pretty easily, and even the locals who are just armed with, like, spears and these cool hand sling things. They drop a bunch of them, and then two giant three-legged spider droids show up and just start blasting everything, and then Anakin has to jump into the fight. Well, those things are are weird, unique to this show, I think. Those great big tripod things. I'm talking about the four-legged guys on Geonosis that look like spiders, but with only four legs. But yeah, those those big tripod things show up, and everybody suddenly understands that it's real. I do like how Anakin jumps into the fight. He's like, I'll take this one, Rex. You've got that one. Yeah. And Rex is just yeah. like, yeah, sure. Go with your lightsaber and do your force magic. I'll figure it out. <laughs> it's like, all right, you big, you know, you wizard. Will the clone army versus this one, Anakin himself versus this one, and we'll leave all of the natives to die against that one until we both can get over there to them. Kinda. <laughs> yeah. That's not entirely wrong. But it, it works out in the end, and Wrecker even uses his giant body and incredible strength to keep the native chief from being crushed by one of the droids. As oh yeah, and it tips over, catches and it, it, catches and it, overhead presses the whole droid. I was gonna say, is that what happens, or is it a tank? But I think I've seen Wrecker lift both now. <laughs> yeah, he pushes the tanks in in the Bad Batch season one. But yeah, yeah. He also picks Gosh. up a drop ship in the first episode, one of the LAATs. Jesus. He doesn't, like, lift it overhead, but he just casually rolls it over like he's just flipping a decent-sized log. Yeah. <laughs> um, does the battle end in this episode? I believe it ends in this episode. The uh, local fight on Skako Minor does end here. Yes. The next episode space. goes back to Anaxis. Right. So the next episode is episode four, Unfinished Business. Back on an axis, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Mace Windu lead a final stand against the Separatist forces command, commanded by Admiral Trench. Anakin, Rex, Bad Batch, and Echo embark on a mission to strike at the heart of Trench's command ship, all the while questioning the rescued clone's loyalty to the Republic after unwittingly serving the Separatists. Proving his loyalty once more, Echo uses his cybernetic implants to foil the droid forces on an axis, but Trench activates a bomb that could destroy most of the planet. Anakin confronts Trench and successfully obtains the deactivation code before executing the Admiral. As the Republic emerges victorious, Rex gives Echo permission to join the Bad Batch. Yeah, you know, I gave Anakin his props a couple episodes ago, and then he turns around and, you know, summary executes a prisoner of war. Yeah, like, Trench Yikes. was somebody who, like, they should have taken to trial. Trench would have talked in a heartbeat. Honestly. Trench would have cut a deal, Trench would have just take off all of his cybernetics and bring him into a courtroom. But uh, Anakin is big mad, and we get a solid... Uh, Imperial March overtone and uh, Trench I think is like you won't kill me you're a Jedi and Anakin's like oh yeah and uh, yeah 
That's Even a great though, impression of the scene. <laughs> that's a great impression of like 90% of Anakin on screen. Oh yeah? <laughs> <laughs> I need that as my text notification. Oh my god. <laughs> um, but yeah, he... he takes out Admiral Trench, a character that we first saw canonically in the very first episode, um, who we also thought we saw die. Again, another character that we saw in a huge explosion who just came back later with some extra uh, droid limbs. But uh, I do... I do think that's a little bit of why Anakin just up and kills him. I was like, no, we were done with you once. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> You're mainly droid. You don't count as a person now, right? He's at least half droid. He doesn't get rights. He uh, he would have let him live, but he sees the droid limbs, and he's like, I have one of those, and, and kills him. <laughs> <laughs> My insecurities. <laughs> oh. Um, okay. So yeah, a, a crappy part of this, they uh, they bring up that he ha- that Echo has to prove his loyalty. Um, he the other other clone troopers are questioning if he is fully there and right in his right mind, uh, or is he actually going to be betraying them for the um, I don't want to say separatists. Thank you, uh, betraying them for the separatists. Yeah, I mean. It is a crappy thing to go through, but also in a time of war, it's kind of a necessary, they're like, man, a lot happened to you. We, you don't know what happened. We don't know what happened. We haven't analyzed you yet. But he does. He, he pulls it off. I, I, uh, seem to remember him like plugging into like a green, like huge computer at the center of something and shutting down power to something. Yeah, I think he just ends up deactivating most of the droid army. He does. Yeah. Perfect. And yeah, we get our touching ending with Echo joining the Bad Batch. A really fun way, I think, to tie this series to its spiritual successor, the the Bad Batch, which is uh which we're still watching here in 2021-2022. Um season 2 comes out next year. But um Echo being on the team is a is a fun way to connect it back to the Clone Wars, even though they are all clones. Um, Echo mm-hmm. was a rig once upon a time, and he's there with the rest of the team. He's one of the Bad Batch. And, I mean, he just, you can see, this is getting a little ahead of ourselves, but in the beginning of the Bad Batch series, he fits right in. No, he does. Yeah. Um, they, they actually do change his look because, like, they give him, like, new decked out stuff. So that's kind of, like, another reason to go check out Bad Batch is, like, they give, like, Echo. He doesn't look like he stands out anymore. Oh, yeah. They they got to A-team him up. They get him his own coat, his own special hat. They get him some tech stuff. <laughs> well, he gets, like, the lobot-looking thing on the back of his head. That and like a whole, he gets like a whole special helmet that doesn't have any eye holes. It's just like a droid face and he mm-hmm. functions fine because he's mostly droid now. I think uh, real quick, because this is about the fourth time we've referenced this character, Lobot, we should probably explain he is from the original trilogy 
Yes, he is Lando's like inside guy. He is <laughs> he is Lando's entire administrative HR team. He uh, he he has that classic line in Empire Strikes Back. That that that's it. He he doesn't. <laughs> no, say that's, that's like, <laughs> I was like, I was like, is it is it something? But also, my snarky retort is: see the guy who gets all the capes for Lando. Exactly. If if Lando snaps his fingers, Lobot would come in with a new cape. But um, exploring his character through um some other uh, avenues uh, in some of the comics, they've looked at uh, how he got that attachment on his head, how much of his um, sentience is still there versus how much of it has been given over to this thing attached to his head. Um, they explore it through rebels a little bit, the show rebels that you, it's kind of a constant fight against this thing. It is constantly trying to take over your brain in a more efficient, organized droid way. And your brain and your personality are fighting back against that being like, hold on, I'm, I'm meat. Let me be a sentient creature. Um, and, uh, that, yeah, that's Lobot. He's Lando's right-hand guy, and he's got some really cool story arcs in the, uh, in the comics, but his Star Wars appearance, he wears a gray poofy suit, and he walks right behind Lando, and he gives some very stern looks. He looks a lot like the principal from Back to the Future, mm-hmm. if... If Lo- if Lobot could have any lines, I would want it to be like him leaning in on Han Solo and being like, "You're a slacker." <laughs> <laughs> wow. Love but yeah, that's who Lobot is. Yeah, I felt we needed to remind anyone who had missed out on that. That's fair. I I did once make a Lobot joke in my workplace. And it got as much of a response from my coworkers as my impression of Lobot saying a quote earlier. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was working with two different computers and I had uh, one earbud was connected to a phone that I was answering and a different earbud was connected to like um, the walkie talkie team walking around this facility doing things. And I was like, guys, I've got so much information going through my head. I feel like Lobot and just crickets. And I was like, all right, I'm <laughs> fine. Wrong crowd. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, anybody have any final notes on this episode or this whole arc? It no? did not take long for them to go. Yeah, we'll make a Bad Batch show for you. Yeah, yeah. like this aired. Everybody was like, oh my gosh, can we get more of them? And then they're like, uh... We haven't been secretly setting up this project this whole time. Right. Dave Filoni, again, going for it, making the whole production before he asks permission to make the production. (laughs) All right, it's already done. There's like 15 episodes. (laughs) Will you stop inviting people over from Marvel to help you with things off hours? (laughs) Um. But, uh, but yeah, that, that series, that, that arc ends, that episode ends and the Bad Batch, uh, rides away into the night sky, wishing a see you soon to everyone. And we wink and we continue on with the Clone Wars. The next arc is what I would call the Martez sisters arc. Um, there are four episodes, unfinished business, gone with a trace, deal, no deal, and dangerous debt. 
Uh, we open with unfinished business. Back up. No, I did all of that no, wrong. No, no, it's gone without a trace. Deal, no deal. Dangerous debt. And together. Yeah, I had my thing wrong. <laughs> I'll throw an official what in there. Uh, that's not correct. It is gone with a trace. Deal, no deal. Dangerous debt. Together again. Those are the four episodes that are in the Martez sisters arc. We start with Gone with a Trace. Uh, After crashing her speeder in the lower levels of Coruscant, Ahsoka Tano befriends Trace Martez, who offers to help work on her speeder. Some thugs come to ask Trace for some money her sister Rafa owes them. Trace and Ahsoka fight them off. Ahsoka then helps work on some of Rafa's droids, which turn out to be violence-prone. By secretly using the Force, Ahsoka helps Trace deactivate them. I think this was a huge deal, because we haven't seen Ahsoka since, what season, Aaron? Uh, five. End of season five is when she abandoned the Jedi Order and left. Yeah, she never shows up at any point in season six. And a lot of people were wondering about that. They make it look like she leaves quitting the Jedi Order and gets on a bike and goes straight to this place. But she doesn't because she has to, at some point, go home and change into some, like, sweet 1970s full-body denim, like, working at the car wash <laughs> With outfit. the flare at the bottoms. Outfit. Yeah, they even have bell bottoms. Uh, but yeah, Ahsoka goes home and gets her entire uh, denim outfit and puts that on just in time to go crash land on a garage that is in one of the giant pits that is, I guess, essentially a highway through the different levels of Coruscant. Um, as an Easter egg, yeah. Tr- Trace tells her, like, welcome to level 1313. Ah! That, that would have been the level that a Star Wars video game took place on, where you would have played as Boba Fett in the underground of Coruscant, that game awesome. never happened, and as far as I'm aware, most of its content has been salvaged and picked and used and put in other Star Wars product projects. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is just another appearance of that uh, once upon a time possible game. Yeah, really sounded like Ben had a lot of uh, emotional investment in the potential of that game. I did. I was very <laughs> upset. The concept art for it's amazing. They've got some really oh, yeah. great concept art. I remember a super invested concept art. I was like really excited. And then they were like, oh, hey, we're canceling it. That was another EA property, right? No, that was another Lucasfilm property that was in the works. And Disney bought it up and was like, oops, Lucasfilm isn't a company anymore. Or not Lucasfilm, Lucasworks. I think it was called Lucasworks. Yeah. Um, was their video game company. And they scrapped that and scrapped that game and like i said it is sad that it did not happen but huge sections of it have been used here they were used in the mandalorian they were used all over the place so we've seen a lot of what we would have seen in that game but yeah ahsoka crash lands on this uh this garage terrace that looks off into the this pit of coruscant and she connects with Trace Martez. And that whole conversation is, is it feels weird to me because it, like, Trace Martez just is a character that's written like she just reeks of being a good, nice, sweet person that has never met 
a bad person in her life. And Ahsoka yeah. crash lands and she's like, come stay in my place of work. Work on your stuff here. You don't have to pay me anything. You do have to pay me anything, but like not really. And uh, we meet her sister, Rafa, who shows us our very first Star Wars laundromat. When they go and meet her, she is working a front at a laundromat. Uh, she is checking dryers for things to steal. And um, they talk, they decide, they explain that they uh, stick, the, sis- the sisters stick together because they can't trust anyone else. They can only trust themselves. And they're taking jobs as they can to get money. Rafa has agreed to do some sketchy droid building stuff for someone. And this is the current deal being offered by Rafa to her sister uh, and her sister's new friend who lives with them and works at their garage, too. (laughs) All of a sudden. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This arc gets a lot of flack, which is partly because it's sandwiched in between two great arcs. Uh, It is definitely the weak part of this season. I don't feel like it really deserves most of the hate that it gets. But the very valid criticism that I see all over the place is it's rushed. Yeah. It is all very, um, oh, well, yeah, your speeder's broken and you coincidentally land in a motorcycle garage. What I'll say for it is is in my rewatch, it made me think um, that if you had never, I think the I think season seven of Clone Wars is perfectly built to introduce someone to Star Wars Clone Wars. I think it would be acceptable to show them season seven and then have them watch the rest of the show, knowing that they will eventually get to that good of quality once again. But it, 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 it they they use Ahsoka in such a way as to like gloss over her whole past and be like, here's a character that is in this show, and we're introducing you to her here again with a whole new life because she just left being a Jedi. Um, my daughter loves Ahsoka, and my daughter really liked these episodes. Actually, she she really liked uh, the Martez sisters. And I think it's a credit to these episodes that um, the Martez sisters are fun characters. Uh, We need more women characters in Star Wars, definitely. And I hope that they show up in the Ahsoka show. Yeah. That would be cool, actually. I hadn't considered that. Yeah. Um, And their their ship, what is their ship called? The the Silver Angel. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ends up being a pretty dope ship, but... Yeah. One of the things we glossed over in this is that uh, the those thugs come in and try to beat up uh, Trace Martez and Ahsoka helps, and they're like, hey, she owes us money, so that's some back character to that. But they're, they're working on these droids, and they turn out to be binary load lifters, which we have seen go berserk before. So one of them goes berserk and runs off into Coruscant, and they all have to go stop it. And a really fun thing that they did, the design team did in this episode, specifically through this whole arc, actually, but in, it's a lot in this episode, um, a lot of the side characters that you can see 
in the background of the droids rampage are Kenner toys. Um, there are, there are characters that are the same species of aliens that would have been in the bar. Uh, and so they were never named characters. So they had like, um, I'm not going to remember them, but like squid face man and uh, walrus man. And like just some of those characters who they didn't really try hard for their costumes because they weren't on screen characters. So it's just like a Ithorian in like a blue jumpsuit and that's mm. it. Or like <laughs> there's a green, there's a green headed alien that's wearing like an orange Marty McFly vest and blue everywhere else and that these are old kenner action figures that they didn't try very hard on the color distinction of the toys and they threw like four or five of those into the background of this whole arc you see quite a few of them in this droid rampage but specifically in a couple episodes when they're in jail uh you can see Mm -hmm. one of the hammerhead uh hammerhead aliens who is also one of the early kenner toys and i think that's just a neat little at this point, we've made it to the point in the um, special effects where they're not trying so hard to convince us that they can produce a show anymore, and now they're just showing off. Yeah, yeah. The the I don't know, glow up between season six and seven, which season six animation was already very good. Season seven's on another level. Yeah, and it, the the final arc, the final four or five episodes get an even higher level of treatment that is just it's still stylistically the same but it looks so good just beautifully done there is a specific shot at the end that i want to talk about that i will talk about but we'll talk about it when we get there um (laughs) um for now um let me see Okay, before we leave this episode, there is one more thing I want to say about this episode. Um, Trace and Ahsoka go and hang out at a wharf and, like, get some sodas and, like, are eating at this public location. uh, And Rafa comes up and talks to them. But the music playing in the background, I remember watching this episode and being like, oh, cool, you don't get to hear in universe star wars music all that often that's fun it's this like weird mix between like what you would hear at a 1950s diner and like vaporwave aesthetic and um at that time in the disney warehouses in the disney production stuff disney was working on obtaining the rights to and producing uh hamilton and they had Lin-Manuel Miranda available. And Lin-Manuel Miranda had already exp- had already worked with Star Wars. Um, Lin-Manuel Miranda has a song that is in The Force Awakens. Uh, but he did a song for Clone Wars, and it's this one here. This one is was not created by the guy that does the Clone Wars uh, music. This was a Lin-Manuel Miranda piece. Oh, that is a fun little bit. I had no idea. Yeah. And uh, that's that's all of the fun little bits I've got about this episode. <laughs> all right, we'll move on. So from there we go to got to double check myself now. Uh, we go to deal no deal. Rafa accepts an assignment to deliver a load of spice from Kessel to the Pike Crime Syndicate on Obadiah and uses Trace and her self-built ship, the Silver Angel, for the job. 
when Ahsoka argues with Rafa that the Pikes might not claim just the spice, but the ship as well, Trace jettisons the shipment into hyperspace. Ahsoka tries to deceive the Pikes into thinking that they had been double-crossed by Kessel's king, Yoruba, but she, Trace, and Rafa get captured instead. This episode drags a bit for me. Yeah, it was a little long. One of the things I like about this is when Trace decides to jettison the spice, it's because Ahsoka has just said to her that the Pikes might take your ship. Ahsoka also says, might take your life. Ahsoka delivers the line like, yeah, the Pikes will take more than, than the spice. They'll take your ship. They'll take your life. And take your life doesn't get addressed again. Trace is just like, what? My ship? They'd take my ship? Does not care about her life. But you're going to take my ship? <laughs> I would say, like, throughout the whole thing, you've always got Trace. Uh, she's kind of a one-eye-on-the-horizon character. She's looking for her next move. She's looking for freedom. Yeah. So I would say, I would argue that to her, taking the ship is worse than taking her life. That's fair. That's definitely fair. You take the ship, she doesn't have a life anymore. She's just back to junking and stealing in the lower levels of Coruscant to never get anywhere. That's fair. I think that that is, um, that compares a little bit to her realization later that the spice that they are picking up is from, is produced via slavery. And she, I think realizes that, and that's a heavy factor in her deciding that she wants nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is 2020. So we had already seen Kessel at this point. Um, mm-hmm. the, sh- the show, the, the, the movie solo brought us to Kessel for the first time. I believe actually rebels may have shown us Kessel first, but I don't remember either rebels or solo, but we're on Kessel. Uh, this show definitely shows us a side of Kessel that we don't see anywhere else. It shows us a lush rainforest with like an executive manor suite. And they are wined and dined by the major domo of, uh, the leader of the planet who they interact with and find and learn more about where the spice comes from, what the spice is for, um, and learn more about how deep in they are. Yeah. To me, I know we're throwing a lot out here right now, and maybe it wouldn't seem like this if you haven't seen it. But to me, uh, Deal No Deal and Dangerous Debt probably could have been one episode. Yeah. I'd agree with that. An interesting thing that I sort of put together on my own while watching this is just looking at the movement of organized crime in star Wars and how the underworld works. This episode shows us an entire like lush suite of, uh, the ruling class here on Kessel and they agree to sell spice to the Pikes and the Pikes are a, Uh, like the mafia, the Pikes are a gang that are running stuff and um, jump ahead several years, uh, jump ahead several years and we get to solo and the Pikes control Kessel. The Pikes are the ones that are on Kessel 
in charge of the enslaved people there and and in charge of the spice. So at some point, the Pike organization was like, we're done paying for the spice, we're moving in. And they offed that ruling class or that, that ruling family and the Pikes took over. Well, I think it's important to remember when you're talking about them that even at this point, the three major crime groups, organized crime groups in Star Wars are the Pike Syndicate, the Crimson Dawn, and the Hut Cartel. And at this point in time, two of those three are actually run behind the scenes by Darth Maul. Yeah. He has already moved in, in addition to his claims on Mandalore, he has taken high positions, basically controlling positions in both of those syndicates. And you've got to imagine that he's got some sway with the huts. Uh, he at least can, you know, talk to the hut council whenever he needs to. Yeah. Anyway. This, let me look at this real quick. Is this the episode where we find out that Maul is in charge of the pikes? No. I, no. That's next episode? That is the last episode, actually, because we don't ever see oh, him there. Okay. That's just some Bo-Katan dialogue. Yeah. Okay, okay. No, we do. We see he shows up on the uh, the the communicator. Oh, And he, like, right. he senses her. Hmm. Mm, Double-crossed. That's when she blows it all up, though, so I think that is the end. Yeah. To, yeah, together again. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. So... I'm looking yeah, now. Okay. It is the last episode, and he's on a phone call, basically. Mm-hmm. So this... Because that, that's when she runs into bo and they're like, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Right. So they go back to Obadiah and are arrested by the Pikes. They're put in a jail cell, um, which leads to the beginning of the next episode. Um, dangerous debt. Ahsoka, Trace, and Rafa attempt to escape their imprisonment by the Pike Syndicate. The Martez sisters reveal that their parents were accidentally killed by the Jedi as they apprehended Zero the Hut. Ahsoka secretly uses the Force to aid their escape, and three Mandalorians catch sight of her. Ahsoka and the Martez sisters end up recaptured by the Pikes. Yeah, the the whole first ten minutes of this episode are basically devoted to jail cell conversation about how um, Ahsoka, they've, they've sprinkled through in previous episodes that they don't like the Jedi. So Ahsoka never mentions that she is a Jedi or was a Jedi. And, um, we finally get that full story. It seems that while Zero the Hut was making an escape, they say a red eyed alien. So probably Cad Bane shoots the engine of a transport, which starts to head towards a Completely full landing pad. The Jedi push it off into a wall. This kills the Martez parents. And just to drive home how lost the Jedi are sometimes and how misplaced uh, some religious figures can be sometimes in the face of extreme tragedy, the Jedi, we we assume Master Luminara because they say a beautiful green-skinned Jedi wearing very dark robes, so we can assume... Luminara, uh, comes up and is just basically like, hey, sorry your parents died. Remember, the Force will be with you. Trust in the Force always. Good luck with the whole being alive without your parents thing. Bye. Gosh. Gives a real Luminara level speech. We're lucky that uh, Mace Windu doesn't pop in to be like, and we're right 
and the things that we do are right. Good day, citizen. Yeah. Gosh. <laughs> Mace Windu just cold. You know, I mean, they really aren't... They don't form attachments. They're not so good at empathy, some of those. That's the problem. You guys are like corporate shills. It's almost like that's the whole point of the Clone War. The Martez sisters point out that the Jedi are just really stepping away from protecting and serving the general public. And here in the summer of 2020, that was a really hot-button issue for a lot of people. And uh, Star Wars just staying relevant and staying current and making us think about things. True. And it's important that even though Ahsoka is like, hey, the Jedi do good stuff sometimes, she doesn't refute really anything that either of the sisters say. She's just like, yeah, you know, I kind of had some of these ideas myself. Well, she starts to at the very beginning. The very first time they bring it up, um, I think in the first episode featuring the Martez sisters, uh, Trace says something about like, oh, don't go topside. You'll run into Jedis starting wars. And Ahsoka's like, the Jedi didn't start the war. They're trying to end it. And she's, Trace is just like, sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, a lot happens in this episode, but also not a lot because they escape, they go on a whole thing and then they end up back in prison. Yeah, in the same jail cell. one kind of big round robin. Yeah. Mm. Probably the only other major notice, notable thing in this episode is where the Mandalorians notice them. In the middle yeah. of all of this chaos, them trying to escape, three uh, robed Mandalorians notice them and are like, hey, let's keep an eye on that. That seems like a thing we should pay attention to. And then we go into Together Again. We do indeed. Together Again. Ahsoka manages to make a deal with the Pikes, which allows the Martez sisters to temporarily leave Obadiah to retrieve the spice while she is held hostage. Ahsoka escapes the prison and places explosives all over the facility, where she, ha where she overhears the Pikes talking to Darth Maul, who is on Mandalore. Meanwhile, the Martez sisters steal spice from the Pikes and bring it back to Obadiah, where they learn that Ahsoka was a Jedi. They escape by blowing up the facility and are followed back to Coruscant by, th by the three Mandalorians, who were previously part of Death Watch. One of them, Bo-Katan, manages to convince Ahsoka that they have a common enemy in Maul, and Ahsoka decides to leave for Mandalore after reconciling with the sisters. This, to me, again, kind of put me off at the beginning of the episode because the Pikes make this deal and they have to make the deal because you have to get, Ahsoka has to get out and the, the Martez sisters have to be freed and all that. But this is like the fourth deal that they've made and the first three, none of them went through at all. They've been basically betrayed by the Martez sisters three times. Why are you still making deals? Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say to that, that they kind of address it in that uh, when they accept this deal, Ahsoka is like the, the deal offered by Ahsoka is you can keep me as a prisoner, but let the, 
two sisters go. If they're not back in 24 hours, I'll tell you where their family lives. And we, the viewers, know that they don't have living any living family. So uh, the sisters take that deal. They leave. Ahsoka is their prisoner. But also, I noticed in rewatching this, Ahsoka is just, like, immediately free. Ahsoka yeah. immediately gets out. Um, I, I assume that's because of the explosives, but... Um, the Martez sisters leave, and someone says, the, like, advisor says to the Pike leader, why are you doing this? They are not going to bring you back I thought, the spice. I thought Ahsoka Jedi mind-tricked the leader of the Pikes. At the at the very first time they met, she did. They showed up, and they were like, here's the spice containers. And they are like, well, we need to look in them. And Ahsoka pulls a, you don't need to look at them. You'll give us our money and send us on our way. And the leader is like, take the money and go. And it's actually the same advisor that catches that, that is talking in this other part. But there's an advisor at that stage that's like, sir, this is highly irregular. And that same guy back in this other scene is like, why are you letting them go? And the Pike leader explains, Darth Maul is in charge. Would you like to say to Darth Maul that I lost 30,000 credits worth of spice? My life depends on them pulling off some solution. Bring me 30,000 credits. Bring me the spice. Bring me something. Anything. And best case scenario, he's got a Jedi prisoner he can give to Maul. So it's kind of in his best interest to let them just keep trying. If they escape, so what? He's already probably dead. That's fair. That's my read okay. on that situation. Completely fair. Well, and then we kind of see like Ahsoka's like Jedi training kind of like kick in when the sisters are gone. She's like, all right, time to get to work. That's why I think she gets out so quickly because you see her using the force in the first couple episodes, but she's got to be sneaky about it. And now she can just go be Ahsoka, force sensitive, former yeah. Jedi, all that fun stuff. There's a part, I think, in the previous episode where they didn't know yet, where she's like, you guys go take that thing and I'll take this thing. And they go like the Martez sisters go like wrestle two other guards while Ahsoka slips into a tower and completely deactivates it and takes out like 15 <laughs> guards <laughs> tied in with that. Um, Ahsoka doesn't have to hide her stuff and her, her powers from them anymore. There's a great bit when they're in their ship escaping, they're in the silver angel escaping and they're being followed and they're being shot at. And, uh, trace says our back shield deflectors are at almost 0%. And Ahsoka is given control of the guns and is like, I can finally help. And is just like blasting. Sorry. I smashed two whole ideas together there. Let me undo that. mess. (laughs) There, there is a really cool part where Ahsoka no longer has to hide her Jedi training from the uh, Martez sisters. And uh, Trace Martez is using a gun to defend the ship that they're in from three other ships. And she's like, you're you're a Jedi? And Ahsoka's like, yeah. And she's like, well, then take the gun. And she, <laughs> Ahsoka's like, yeah. And immediately shoots down a ship and uh, starts firing at the other ships. Trace leaves at that point and goes back up and is piloting. And someone says the back deflectors of this ship are now are nearing zero percent. Trace at that point is like, all right, I got an idea. 
um, she turns the ship around and banks on the front deflectors and saves the day by flying directly at the last ship that was shooting at them. And it, it what's that game? Chicken. <laughs> she plays chicken with the last ship who can't fire its blasters through their front deflectors. It flies off. It crashes. Um, it's a great scene. We get a, a really solid John Williams when Ahsoka takes charge of the, the guns in the ship. Love it. Yeah. Great bit. Um, yeah. I don't want to say it because I feel like I'm kind of trashing on these episodes and I don't want to be because I actually really liked them. And I liked both of the characters of Trace and Rafa. But the, yeah, that chase scene at basically the end of this episode is probably the most interesting part. Yeah. The the actual end is where we do catch up with those mysterious Mandalorians who happen to be Bo-Katan and a couple former Death Watch members who are now trying to take on Darth Maul and his new Mandalorians. Yeah. So yeah, that brings us directly into the next episode, which is the first of the final four episodes of The Clone Wars, this final arc. Old friends not forgotten. Ahsoka and Bo-Katan contact Anakin Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi, asking them for help in apprehending Darth Maul in his new hideout on Mandalore. While Obi-Wan is apprehensive, Anakin and the 501st give Ahsoka a warm welcome until news arrives that General Grievous and the Separatists are attacking Coruscant. Upon Anakin's suggestion, Rex, field promoted to commander, and part of the 501st accompanies Ahsoka to Mandalore, forcing Maul's loyalists under Gar Saxon into retreat. Bo-Katan apprehends Prime Minister Almec, while Ahsoka follows a trail into the city's tunnel network, only to walk right into Maul's trap. Uh, there is more that I will throw out. It says, a note, this episode opens with the classic Lucasfilm logo, the Star Wars theme by John Williams is heard, and the title card is red instead of yellow, in place of the usual philosophical lesson, what we call a fortune cookie. <laughs> uh, the episode title, preceded by part one, appears in red. This is where, these four episodes, this is about an hour and a half, almost, of some of the best Star Wars content that you will watch some of the best storytelling, some of the highest quality, both in writing and animation. Yeah. And music. Well, I think that especially with this one, like you get that reintroduction of Ahsoka with Anakin and it's like really emotional. Yeah. It is. It's huge because Ahsoka has left the order, but Anakin still believes in her and is, you wants her to come back. The 501st still respects her. And there's oh, yeah. even a scene she's walking through the hallway to get to somewhere with Anakin and Obi-Wan and they keep saluting her and calling her commander. And she's like, I'm not yeah. in the army anymore. They shouldn't do that. And Anakin has this heartbreaking line, this absolutely gut wrenching line about they respect you. They know that you were there with them from day one. They know what you went through with them and for them. And then he says, loyalty means everything to the clones. 
and we all know what's going to happen at the end of this arc, and it's terrible. (laughs) Well, we do all know what's going to happen at the end of this arc, but literally only have we known that for, like, seconds at this point. Because this is... Uh, where we, we, from our point of view, watching this the very first time, you turn that episode on and it's like, all right, we're going to go get Darth Maul on, we're going to go get Darth Maul on uh, Mandalore. We're doing some Mandalore stuff. Boom. General Grievous is attacking Coruscant and Supreme Chancellor Palpatine has been captured. We're in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. We're in the movie. This is Anakin and Obi-Wan are flying up there in Starfighters. Yep. This is where the fun begins. They literally go out of frame in this episode. The last time they're in this episode, they go out of frame of this and into the first frame of that movie. Yeah. Yeah. This whole arc has several good moments like that where we where the timeline is given to us via seeing other characters either just walking out of or just walking into or just finishing a, a conversation uh, that they're having in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan leave with part of the 501st, the 501st that ends up marching with Anakin on the Jedi Temple later, uh, and split in half, and the other f- half of the 501st have all painted their helmets to honor Ahsoka, and it's such a cool paint design for the helmets, and oh, it's it's so, it means so much. Like, all of the clones personalize their stuff, and they all respect Ahsoka. And, yeah, we're on our way to that moment. And, right, I mean, immediately after the reveal of the helmets, uh, Anakin found her lightsabers and tuned them up and gives them back to her. And he's like, oh, I may have made an improvement, and now they are blue instead of green. Well, I thought one was blue and one was green. No, they're both blue. So Ahsoka had originally had, um, if you ask Dave Filoni what color Ahsoka's lightsabers were, he will tell you that they were green and light green. Because he asked George, he said, George, how do you feel about yellow lightsabers? And George said no. And Dave Dave was like, well, I already made it. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Can we make it that original Gatorade color where you're like, (laughs) is that yellow? Is that green? (laughs) (laughs) So those are Ahsoka's lightsaber colors originally. But yeah, Anakin is like, here, I touched up your uh, lightsabers and gives them back to her. And they are both blue now. Uh And it's, yeah, because they do the music swell and she's like, looks at Anakin and she's like happy. Yeah. Heart wrenching. Yeah. The emotional tone of what's happening on screen versus the emotional tone of what you in the audience who has the full information that these characters don't oh, yeah. have night and day. Oh, hundred percent. I was just thinking there's gotta be a German word or like a, um, Shakespearean concept that is exactly this feeling. Um, it's dramatic irony. The characters are so happy and so honored and so touched. And so this means so much and we can do it. But you, the audience are like, Oh no, <laughs> Oh, no. The better this part gets, the worse the next part will be. Yeah. Anakin leaves and is like, don't worry, I'm definitely off to go still be a good guy and and hang out with some kids and and be a great person. Yeah. And then all of Revenge of the Sith happens. Well, the other thing is, like, he divides the 501st for Ahsoka. He, like, he, like, splits his forces on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. 
he goes out of his way to being like, hey, I care about you, and you're like a sister or like a daughter to me, and you're very important. I missed you. Like, he's going out of his way at the beginning of this episode. Definitely. Ahsoka is like, well, the Jedi are just playing politics in this war now, and Obi-Wan is like, well, we kind of have to play politics. We work for the Republic, and Anakin's like, no, no, we can can do both of these things. I can figure this out, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I'm I'm pretty sure that there is a detrimentally tragic line, and I think it is one of the last things said when the three of them are standing there, and I think Obi-Wan says it, and it is, don't worry, so long as the three of us stick together, everything will be alright. Mm. Oof. And those three characters are not in a scene together, all together, ever again. Yeah. Oof. Well, then everybody goes their separate ways at this point, because then Obi-Wan and Anakin go to their starfighters, and then they uh, jump to light speed uh, to Mandalore. Well, the the Jedi go to uh, Coruscant, and Ahsoka and her sector of the 501st go to Mandalore with Bo-Katan and uh, the other two Mandalorians. This, I'm pretty sure... Well, I guess there's more in this episode because we they... Uh, this whole Gar Saxon stuff. There's honestly, there's a lot in these episodes that we won't even really touch on. The Mandalorian stuff is something we will get to when we f- double back and do deep dives on this. Yeah. But to get into the full depth of these episodes would... Just these four episodes yeah. would probably be one episode of our show by themselves. Yeah. So you're going to have to do a cliff notes. Uh, really, really quick, though. Like, when they, like, kind of, like, warp into Mandalore, Ahsoka does the most badass and, like, oh my God. I'm here to fight entry of, like, I take down a couple of Mandalorians in the air, I help some people out, and then I ride a flaming gunship into the docks land blades are already out at this time like she did like blades out falling the entire time and then just hits the platforms like all right where is he she has leveled up so much in what little off-screen time she had because i I love this bit she looks at rex and they kind of do a couple little quips back and forth because they're old buddies fighting together again and then she's just like race you to the ground and jumps out of this ship in like the <laughs> mid atmosphere of Mandalore. Yep. She's like 2000 feet from the ground. Just like, yeah, I got this. Wee. Mid atmosphere featuring flak fire and ships exploding. Yep. <laughs> Tons of drop ships, anti-aircraft, the whole bit. He catches up with his jetpack That's probably really slow. And she's like, beat you. And he's like, something's never changed. Like he's like happy. Yeah. To have her yeah. beat him. Like, he was like, I'm overjoyed. Yeah, it's beautiful. So, all right. Like I said, we're going to have to kind of jam through this. The fights yep. on Mandalore are amazing. Watch these episodes. Yep, yep. If you want to watch something that, like, something to talk about with Clone Wars, because, like, a lot of people are like, uh, it's kind of a lot. I just prefer the movies. Watch these episodes. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. What I can say for skipping forward from this point is... Anytime you're watching Star Wars and you mentally want to check out, if Gar Saxon 
comes into the story. <laughs> it's it's oh, yeah. probably fine to check out unless you intend to do a like three weeks intensive crash course uh, online class about the history of Mandalore because <laughs> there's so much there's so much going on there and yeah it would take us entire further episodes to get into that but yeah prime minister almec and bokatan and gar saxon go off and do mandalorian things and it's pointed out that the entire reason for maul doing this takeover and starting this fight and the, the whole reason there's a war on Mandalore right now is because Maul is trying to lure Anakin to the planet because he knows that Anakin is the key part in Sidious's plan and he wants to kill Anakin before Sidious can do whatever it is he wants to do. He I tells... Know. He knows all about it. He's got the whole thing figured yeah. out because he's even talking about the timing. Every time he monologues... He'll do this thing where he kind of looks up into the side and he's like, that's more Phantom Apprentice than. Oh, I'm just going. I'm just going for it at this point. Yeah. 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 Let's just go for it. No, I 100 percent agree. Like, but my thing is, like, I don't think Maul could take Anakin. Oh, no chance. He had no chance. Like, Uh, honestly, I think Maul and like Anakin might be evenly matched, but like, I don't think it'd be more of a kind of like a draw situation. Well, so here's the thing. We can sit here and discuss who would win a theoretical fight, who would win a fight between Qui-Gon Jinn and Count Dooku and blah, 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 blah. Who would win 50 Yodas or 50 Mace Windus? Pong Krell versus General Grievous. Oh, that would be a great fight, actually. The thing is, at the end of the day, when you're talking about Star Wars canon material... And you're not having just a theoretical fun debate, but you're thinking, if these two characters switched places in the canon, what would happen? What would happen is what the Force wants to happen. And at this point in time, the Force is balancing itself. Anakin has to fall so that he can later come back and be redeemed by Luke and balance the Force. So, yes, canonically... Anakin would win that fight because he has to. That being said, we could sit around for hours and debate how that fight would go and what it would look like. So the only critique I will have on your argument, Aaron, is that um, not all of Anakin has to make it through (laughs) that. Darth Maul, on his way out, could definitely take at least legs and arms with him, but then, like legless armless anakin could be like and like throw maul into lava or off a cliff or well not off a cliff stop throwing maul off of things we know that doesn't work we know he can fly (laughs) (laughs) right but um yeah no i completely agree and and to bring up canon once more there is one event one time there is only one frame of star wars where anakin and darth maul were side by side and saw each other and in that moment Darth Maul said I'm going to I'm going to run this child over with my motorcycle <laughs> and <laughs> and Qui-Gon um, screamed Anakin drop and Anakin dropped and Darth Maul was like dang it and then continued on fighting Jedi it's like hey screw that kid for no reason <laughs> 
gonna hit this child on my way to fourth year of the clone wars fully grown near jedi master anakin skywalker shows up to mandalore maul i've come to fight you and he just smacks him with a bike (laughs) star wars (laughs) is over But yeah, um, and and God, we could go further into discussions of of who would win in a fight of Darth Maul versus Darth Vader in his Vader suit, and that's just a whole other ballpark, and we we can't go there, not tonight, gentlemen. We we no. uh, we can get to those sorts of philosophical debates in future episodes. Yes. Um. um but and go ahead, go ahead, Ben. Oh, I was like, are we going to jump to the next couple episodes? Well, I'm happy to. We okay. We we gotta talk yes. about the fight. Aaron, talk about that fight. Okay, so this people like to talk all the time just because of the differences in what you can do with technology, the the live action fights versus the animated fights, and Darth Maul versus Ahsoka Tano on Mandalore is one of the most brilliant lightsaber fights we ever get to witness because they get to do both. They brought in a well-known stunt actress, Lauren Mary Kim, and they actually got Ray Park, who you will all remember as portraying Maul in The Phantom Menace, Mm. and they motion-capped this entire fight between the two of them. Oh, wow. So everything you're seeing on screen that Maul and Ahsoka are throwing back and forth at each other was actually done by two real humans with real weapons in a green screen studio. And it just, the movement is so fluid and so precise and everything they're doing in the backgrounds, you can see explosions and smoke and drop ships crashing and all this stuff out the windows because they're fighting in the palace, like the main throne room of the Mandalorian palace. And it's just a, it, it's brilliantly choreographed, it's brilliantly executed, yeah. it's brilliantly scored, it's phenomenal. They end up fighting way up in the upper levels of these domed cities that Mandalore is covered in, and yeah. they capture Maul, a bunch of clone troopers show up and use these like grappling hook type things to just tie him it's up. It's the stuff that they have on their guns yeah. um, in the other movies and like uh, the earlier shows and stuff. They they bind him up oh, with yeah. these things and just fly him away hanging out the bottom of one of the drop ships. And he... I think two of them. They literally like have him held between ships. Yeah. And... yeah. Well, he, and he's like freaking out cuz he's like my plan isn't going to work now. We're all going to die. We're all going to die and this is your fault. Yeah, yeah, that's that's not something that we've even talked about yet. He goes off screen screaming about, you will all burn! Yep. Well, and then that brings us into Shattered, because like they're like, finally, pieces come to Coruscant, not a big deal, we're finally good, and then they're like all getting ready to take off, and like more stuff happens on the ship. Yeah, we get, we were talking earlier about blending scenes... Uh, in the show with scenes from Revenge of the Sith, the movie, Ahsoka gets not a Force vision, but the Force reaches out to her on the bridge of the uh, venerator that they put Maul on to take him back to Coruscant to put him up on trial and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Bo-Katan lends Ahsoka 
the last of these containment pod things that the Mandalorians created back when they fought Force Sensitives all the time. So it cuts Maul off from the Force while he's locked inside it. Mm -hmm. Very handy thing to have. So yeah, and uh, Ahsoka gets this, uh, the Force calls out to her, and you hear all of the dialogue from the actual scene where Anakin falls, where he kills Mace Windu and becomes Darth Mm -hmm. Vader. That is all recreated. I'm I'm 99% sure that at least that is, I believe his name is Matt Lanter, uh, doing Anakin. And uh, that is him getting a take at doing the official lines from Revenge of the Sith. Oh, wow. That is actually really impressive because I was sure they had just cut that from Hayden Christensen's dialogue in the movie. I'd have to double check, but I'm I'm pretty positive that he got to do that and that that voice actor was stoked about it. Oh, I mm. bet he was. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Um, so good. So much going on. I think right before, uh, or right during, well, I guess it would be right before this. Uh, but as things are, as we're starting to move forward, you know, we captured Maul. This is good. We get an update from the field. Um, Obi-Wan Kenobi killed General Grievous. How great is that? The war might be ending. This is good news. Let's get this, uh, let's get this Venator into hyperspace. Let's go home. And then you get the line. Execute Order 66. Yes, Lord Sidious. probably the single biggest line that happens in the prequel trilogy and you get to hear it again in the prequel in the Clone Wars. era yeah yeah i'll i'll say the, in the entire era um i would definitely say this is a bold thing i might be about to say but <laughs> it's not as it's not as impactful because we all knew it was coming somehow but this is our generation's no i am your father um, it's not that shocking cause we knew it was coming, but it's that this trilogy's moment, it's that moment. And yeah, in all of the side media, video games, books, shows, you know, exactly where you are in the star Wars timeline when things are going okay. And some clone steps off to the side and is like, we're receiving a transmission. <laughs> Execute Order 66. And you now know what's about to happen. And the I, the great part about that, you barely catch it, but it is the actual, it is the voice of Ian McDermott, the mm, live yeah. action actor, delivering that line for the show. They use uh, uh, the archive from the actual episode, so you hear it exactly as you heard it when you watched the movie. Yeah. Which always struck me as kind of odd, because he specifically calls Commander Cody. <laughs> um, yeah. And I always wondered if he, like, sent that message out to, <laughs> like, Commander Cody, execute Order 66. Commander Wolf, execute Order 66. Commander Rex, <laughs> just going down a list. So my theory... My theory here is uh, he calls Cody 
because he knows Obi-Wan well. So number one, he knows Obi-Wan's going to be a problem. If you're going to get the yeah. jump on anybody, you want to get the jump on Yoda and Obi-Wan. He calls Cody True. because he's been following very closely the career of Anakin, which means, you know, by default, you're following Obi-Wan pretty closely. Yeah. And he goes, wait, Obi-Wan's commander. He has the most communication equipment of any soldier I've ever seen. I will call him. Then he will start the telephone tree to call the rest of the clones. (laughs) You call three people, then they will all call three people, then they will all call three people. (laughs) Commander Cody, I need you to take a message. (laughs) (laughs) It's so interesting with this, though, because getting back to the episode, but it's just like Ahsoka's freaking out because she's trying not to kill you know, her clones. Well, that, but at the same time, Rex is trying not to kill Ahsoka. Rex is fighting against his programming. Yeah, he manages to hold on for about three seconds long enough to tell her to run before he starts shooting. Which is pretty admirable when you consider all of the other Jedi that we know got gunned down immediately. That's pretty admirable for Rex. It it speaks a lot to Rex and Ahsoka's relationship when you see him try that hard not to hurt her. And then you think about Kieti Mundi's boys who were like, all right, gear up. (laughs) When you you think about Ayla Sakura on Felucia and just the extreme (laughs) amount of carnage that is poured out on her by her troops. And yeah, that speaks a lot for Rex. Well, and then after like being like, I need help and I don't have anything, Ahsoka being like, hey, guess what I'm going to go do? I'm going to go set Maul free. Yep. Checks out. Makes complete sense. <laughs> yeah. I, I need to co-cause the world's biggest distraction. There and Maul is. just like starts just like mass murder, but you just see how powerful Maul's become in this. Well, so it's... Yeah. it's Pointing out to anyone who hasn't seen it yet, uh, Maul does not have his lightsabers. Uh, she, she lets him out and he asks for a lightsaber and she's like, I'm not rooting for you. I just want you to lose big. <laughs> Don't die. Bye. I, th- I think he words it as like as a professional courtesy and then like looks at her lightsabers. And yeah, she's like, no, just so we're clear, I'm not rooting for you. I still hate you. And he's like, fine, I'll just go kill everyone. <laughs> yeah, well, and then he's like ripping panels off the wall and decapitating and hitting <sighs> people. And it's brutal. Like Maul's assault on the clone troopers on the 501st is like, just like. It's like yeah. prolonged that Darth Vader scene in Rogue One. Precisely. But no lightsabers. Just him using the force and just bang, bang, boom, bang, bang. Just throwing stuff at people, decapitating people. There's one point where he like realizes he needs a like thumbprint scan and the nope, door is shutting. The and wrist, he's... It's the wristband of one of the troopers um, for their Yeah, comps. and he's like, oh, I need that. He puts it between the blast doors and has it cut well, it off. Yeah, yeah, and then he's walking around with that arm for a bit. It's, like, gross, and you don't see anything, but it's, like, Disney's version of being like, this is something that bad happened. Yeah. Yeah. Disney's like, no blood, or bone, or anything fleshy or human. But we're gonna still show the vague implication of these two clones getting decapitated by a wall panel. (laughs) Right. It's, It's been an interesting thing in the last, maybe, two and a half years or so since Rogue One, 
that uh, Star Wars loves doing hallway scenes now. Mm-hmm. It's great. And there is one. It's, it's wonderful. There's one that is notable that is not good, but this mall hallway scene came right in between Vader and Rogue One and Mandalorian, and it fit right in. Hold on, hold on, though. What hallway scene do you think is not good? Uh, the the hallway scene in uh, Jedi Fallen Order, where Order 66 happens in that game, is... Oh, oh, okay. I was trying to think of, like, what filmed show or movie did you wrong? No, that's, I was like, hold on. <laughs> that's fair. I did kind of go outside of the media that we've mainly been covering. There is a hallway scene in that, but you kind of watch the hallway scene from the side in that, and it's just, it's okay. <laughs> um, oh God, this, this, yeah, this episode's great. Um, this episode, um, and what, how does this episode end? Because the entire next um, episode is the fallout of this. It's Rex comes to because they removed his chip and Ahsoka's like, oh, and like, He's like, are you okay, kid? And they're cutting the door open. Like, the other clones are cutting the door open. Right. Because Ahsoka uh, kidnaps Rex and takes him to the infirmary and removes his chip. Mm-hmm. Um, that That is, that's the important detail that I was forgetting earlier. In the back of my head, I knew it. When Rex is resisting the order for a few seconds before he starts, he tells her, fives, look for fives. Oh yeah, right. He... Because she goes and looks up the file and has to use Anakin's code. I love that she's like memorized Anakin's code still, and he has <laughs> never changed it. Like oh. Anakin, it just speaks to his like idiocracy because like, huh? Your Padawan left, and you're gonna leave your codes the same. You don't wipe the codes in R two. Like I was gonna say, this is the man that that gave us R two D two. He's he Anakin's password is password one two three. Listen from a. Uh... Like a corporate standpoint, you know, manager, assistant manager kind of relations that I've had in my actual professional life. This is a hundred percent accurate. I could probably <laughs> go back to the uh, store in Jacksonville that I used to assistant manage and still know all of my old boss's login information and just get right back into those computers where I needed to be. Because that's just yeah. that's just how you do it. When you're that high up on a command chain, that's just how it works. <laughs> she pulls all of uh, the information she needs to understand the entirety of the literal dynamic happening at that moment in Star Wars when all of the other Jedi missed it. And uh, she pulls the chip out of Rex's head. Rex is like, great, everything's horrible. Let's try to get out of here. So then... We go into the last episode where Maul, in a desperate bid to escape, destroys the hyperdrive of the cruiser they're on. Well, uh, yeah, well, it destroys, like, the engines. He destroys the hyperdrive uh, generators inside of their engines as they're traveling through hyperspace, which drops them out of hyperspace. Terrible idea. If you're moving at the speed of light to somewhere to stop doing that, unexpectedly, is horrendously bad on the ship. Does an incredible amount of damage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, blows whole pieces off. The ship is immediately 
on a crash course for um, a planet. Uh, super interestingly, uh, this is something that I noticed or that I did not notice. This is something that was pointed out by uh, another Star Wars podcast that I follow and listen to. But the moon that they and that 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 Venator crashes on is I don't remember the name of the planet. Uh, so in Attack of the Clones, uh, Django says he was uh, recruited by a man called Tyrannus. And then he says on one of the moons of and he names a planet and I'm not remembering it, uh, but it's implied that this is that moon. So oh. the the place where the entirety of the concept of the Clone Wars starts, Count Dooku uh, recruits Jango Fett on potentially this moon. He says one of the moons of uh, I'm looking not it up right now. this specific planet. Yeah, pull that up for me. I'm, I'm looking it up, too. Maybe Bogdan? I'm going to say Bogdan. Wow. So, okay. I don't know that Star Wars has officially confirmed it yet. Uh, because they've okay. never really gone to the moons of Bogdan before. But um, Jango Fett says he was recruited by a man called Tyrannus in one of the moons of Bogdan. Um, it's implied somewhere in some media that they're in like the Bogdan system at this point in time. Uh, okay. So uh, on one of the moons of Bogdan, the final part of the Clone Wars happens. Okay. And uh, that I, I just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, their their Venator is on a crash course for this moon, and it is now no longer just an escape from Maul, try to shoot the Jedi situation for the clones. It is a run for your life, get off of the ship, maybe still try to kill the Jedi if you can see them. Well, no. If, if you can see Ahsoka. While the ship is actively crashing, Jesse, who since Rex is gone, has become the, the he's the next ranking clone, he has taken over. And he locks down the whole ship except the hangar and marshals all of his remaining clones in the hangar. And oh, yeah. they are going to ride this thing into the dirt. They no longer care yeah. about surviving. They are going to kill Ahsoka and Maul. And that's it. Mm -hmm. You get some great scenes of Ahsoka and Rex using the Force and cool teamwork to take out a bunch of the clones. Rex is firing uh, the little circular stun blasts the whole time because even now with his life on the line, he can't bring himself to kill his brothers. Darth Maul jumps on a shuttle and manages to get out. Ahsoka and Rex manage to get themselves into a Y-Wing at the last second. Uh, there's some Ahsoka free-falling through the atmosphere a little bit before she manages to catch the Y-Wing and pull herself in. That whole bit right there is what I referenced earlier where I said I saw something amazing and I would talk about it later. I was watching specifically the frame where Ahsoka is like running, jumping off of stuff, jumping off of stuff. And the like the scene where she dives into the open sky looks so realistic. It's mind boggling. Oh, no, this is like so good. They had it, it, so it comes up at about the end of season three. The animation team for the show developed their own bit of software. I think I mentioned it in our season three episode. You did. They did their own bit of software for random particulates in atmosphere or water or anything like that. And yeah, this sequence is just the animation team going, let's see what this baby can really do. 
<laughs> it's 1 a.m. We're on a highway in Wyoming. Let's go. <laughs> Another thing I wanted to acknowledge in this is seasons. Well, uh, well, seasons ago, yes, but also episodes ago of our podcast. Seasons of Clone Wars ago, episodes of our podcast ago. We specifically talked about something that we at that moment said we would talk about later. And it was the tragedy of Clone Trooper Jesse. Yeah. He is one of the troopers that was there in the fight against Pong Krell in the, um, what, what is the name the, of that? The Umbara arc. Yeah. The Umbara arc. And it just shows how, in that series of episodes, it underlines how much it means to him, uh, his loyalty to his brothers. He agrees with Rex to, like, break the rules, to uh, do the right thing, to stand up to Pong Krell. And here he is following the the military law to the T, throwing out like exactly the right phrases for how to convince his troops that they need to immediately kill Rex and Ahsoka. And it is tragic. He was one of the yeah. two clones. It was Jesse and Fives that were going to be uh, executed for treason executed. on Umbara. And yeah, now he is... He is personally about to execute Rex for treason. Yeah. Yeah, very much a good soldier follows orders kind of guy. Absolutely. The whole concept in this of good soldiers follow orders is so tragic. Oh, yeah. I, I watched this earlier and I realized this is just the creators of the Clone Wars playing with their toys. To tie it into what you said about the computer, <laughs> the, them showing off their computer thing. Because they're using every single character that they either gave us or brought back for us. This entire yeah. final part of this episode is the clones, Ahsoka, Rex, and Maul. And yeah. Maul was dead when we came into the Clone Wars. So they break out all of their favorite toys, run them around a ship for one last episode. And uh, I thought it was great. I also wanted to specifically call out one super badass moment that Ahsoka does where they're on the ship fighting and they're on the ship fighting and they're on the ship fighting. At one point, Ahsoka and Rex go back to back. Ahsoka like dagger throws both of her lightsabers into the ground. She spins, force spins, uses both of her lightsabers to cut a hole in the floor and they fall through it. And it was amazing. That's so good. Yeah, because that's when they're in the hangar. Yeah, yeah. She's doing so much through that whole scene. And, like, it's incredible to watch because Ahsoka doesn't have a way to not kill the clones. So you have Rex with two pistols set to stun, shooting at, like, a hundred of his brothers. And the only thing that is keeping him up and able to fire back is Ahsoka's lightsabers deflecting all of these blasters away. She has to overcome her four years of combat experience reflecting blaster bolts back at who shot them. And it's just this whirlwind of of blades just blocking everything that comes near them. I remember staying up late and watching this because I had to watch it like that night. I I, I think I waited for... These all came out weekly, and I think I waited for this episode to come out to watch this entire series. I don't remember, but I watched it late at night and it was, it was beautiful. But the fact that they escaped on a Y wing, we've mentioned episodes ago that the Y wing is one of my favorite ships in star Wars. It was just so dope to be like, yes, run to the Y wing. Hell yeah. There's so many ships in the clone wars. We're making it out of here on a Y wing. 
it's not just like any Y-Wing. It's like a Y-Wing that's like decked out. It's not the ones that we've seen in New Hope that's like got like missing pieces along the engine. Those yeah, panels. it's still strapped in its all, all of its armor and all of its extra fixings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we did. We didn't really talk about it when we talked about the Y wings previously in the Clone Wars, but uh, they're they're heavy duty Y wings. There's a lot more going on with the Clone Wars era Y wings than what we end up with in A New Hope. Well, and I think the hard part about this is like the part where I cried. You know, the part where they get to the ship crash, they get out of the Y wing, and now they bury all of the troopers who died in the crash. Ugh. I cried too. It's no, I, I, oh, I cried. absolutely. And then like Ahsoka just like throws the lightsaber down, and you're just like, she's done. You see all their helmets, all of this. Rex is standing back by the by the ship while Ahsoka has her moment, and she lets go of the lightsaber and leaves it there. Um, that scene confused me the first time I watched it because I didn't quite understand its impact. But yeah, we move forward into a snowscape. We immediately are looking at a snow trooper from at least the Empire Strikes Back era where we've seen those before. Um, there are probe droids floating around doing their <laughs> thing. It, it, it immediately tone shifts to let us know that we are now years forward in the Imperial era, there is a ship from the Return of the Jedi era, like landing. It releases Vader. Vader walks out and picks up this lightsaber and turns this blue lightsaber on and looks at it and looks up and he sees that owl bird that is implied to be the essence of the daughter from the Mortis arc, who we know is like a sigil or a um, familiar, at least to ahsoka and uh it and then that final scene the final scene of the clone wars we see one of the ahsoka trooper helmets and in the reflection of its visor we see vader walking back to go complete everything that star wars is and that is the end of the clone wars it's just so good because it's their final goodbye like dave filoni Thank you for putting all of that in there. Thank you for your hard work. Like, it's and just so good. I, I personally, I've got to shout out Kevin Kiner. Oh. Who wrote the score for this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, the song that is playing is called Burying Your Dead. It sounds nothing like anything you've ever heard in Star Wars before. Yeah. That's true. And I agree with that. It underscores everything that's going on. I still think that the most important audio cue in that scene is Vader's breathing. And that is the last sound that you hear. But that is such a good song that is driving you up to that moment. And yeah, then it cuts to black. You hear one more Vader breath and they start rolling credits with no music. And all of this, all of this, all of these episodes of this podcast that we have produced, all of this, all of these shows, all of these seasons, all of this continued Star Wars media from one line that George put in A New Hope. You fought in the Clone Wars? Yes. That's it. (laughs) And uh, they sat for 30 some years being like, I'll bet those were cool. And then Dave Filoni and George Lucas had a meeting and they were like, can we like show everybody how cool the Clone Wars were? And they were like, hell yeah. Let's do it.
amazing final season. Worth the six-year wait if you were watching along with. Um, amazing show, start to finish. It has points that aren't great. It has, like, a handful of episodes that I could skip. But it is just some of the most brilliant storytelling and character development in all of Star Wars. Definitely. Um, and I think it's it's the genesis of all of the future Star Wars content that we are even still receiving. The, 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 the Disney was going to buy Star Wars and do what they wanted with it. But before Disney had Star Wars, they were making Clone Wars. And it was the test of... George made his prequels. What's Star Wars going to be next? What's it going to be moving forward? Yep. And here we are. Book of Boba Fett starts in a couple weeks. There have been so many shows since then. The Mandalorian, The Bad Batch, Rebel, Star Wars Rebels. Um, I we it has it doesn't get a lot of attention. It's not well liked, but I enjoyed Star Wars Resistance. Well, Rebels um, and Resistance they couldn't have done without doing the Clone Wars. Yeah, that's that's what I'm getting at. We we've got all of this. <laughs> And that's that's where we're going. Uh, that's the directions we're looking at. We finished Clone Wars. Next up, we are going to tackle the movie Revenge of the Sith. Being honest, uh, Attack of the Clones and Phantom Menace were both were they both two parters or did no, we nail just, Phantom uh, Menace? We, we in got one? we got Phantom Menace down in one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. That's probably not going to happen again. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we expect. Uh, our movie review to be two episodes. We'll see how that goes. And then we're going to do that video game episode. And uh, moving forward from there, we're going to, we're going to talk about it with uh, our listening audience on Facebook. We'll present a lot of options on how we'll move forward. And we'll, we'll talk about it with people on Facebook about where we go from there. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about revenge of the Sith Sith with you guys. Yeah, very much. So it's going to be a lot to cover. You guys want to hit the uh, question of the day and get out of here? Let's do it. Yeah, let's let's do it. All right. Don't worry. It's an easy one. What's your favorite piece of music from Star Wars? <laughs> <laughs> God, what a hard question. Oh, man. See, I, I'm going to be contrarian. And, well, no, I'm going to go last. Never mind. I'm going to go last. I want to see what you guys have to say <laughs> first because I have two things. And you know that I like to just throw in something that no one else has talked about for these questions. That's fair. Ben, you talk, because I'm going to Facebook to pull to talk about the one person that commented on this post. Oh, I was going to go through a couple songs that I selected to see which one I'm, like, really about. Oh, you're listening to them now? Everyone knows the best one is Jedi Rocks. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah going to facebook aaron robertson of this podcast comments all of it (laughs) which is still true I thoroughly agree. I'm not going to argue with you one bit. Uh, Matt comments, Duel of the Fates and the Force theme. Two wonderful pieces of music. Two completely acceptable answers. Neither of us get to say either of those now. Honestly, 
Duel of the Fates was probably the the de facto, the go-to from when it came out. It probably, in popularity at least, eclipsed the uh, actual theme itself. I got to play Duel of the Fates in my high school band. Mm, That's awesome. Oh, it was. I was on French horn, even. I must. I was probably there. I imagine that was. Um, yeah. I, 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 we won't go into that, but oh man, Ben and I both might have been there. I'm sure yeah, you it was were. A music fest? It was a music festival. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hell yeah. Um, I I found my song because it's it's used a lot. Okay. What you got? Across the stars that they use in Attack of the Clones because they use it over and over again in Clone Wars. Oh, yeah, I think I know the one you're talking about. So beautiful. That is a really good one. Such a beautiful piece of music. Um, There's a really sort of cheater way to answer this question that I'm thinking about using, and it is in the soundtrack to the movie Solo. Um, they have a song called Reminisce Therapy, and it's just they wrote a whole other score for Solo, and then they were like, all right, but we got to get some of the themes in here. So it's like a six-minute long wrap up on like the Imperial March and like Han Solo flying through the asteroid field and it's just like a best of Han's songs that is a pretty solid answer though it's a great piece of music uh reminisce therapy but um Man, the Force theme means so much. Uh, Duel of the Fates is a wonderful song. I, I think the song, I'll answer, uh, the song that I like go to think of when someone asks me to think of a Star Wars song and I don't get to use Duel of the Fates or Force theme. Um, I'm going to go with the song that opens on Hoth uh, mm. in the middle of the battle. It's the battle in the snow. It's very stompy. Like with yeah. um, the AT-ATs, it's this it's like, a, bum, it's bum, a riff on, bum. it's a similar riff to like the uh, Imperial March, but it's not, it's not identical. But there's so much good music. There's so much good music in all of this. The uh, Rebels has great music. We talked about Thrawn's piece in the episode I'm editing right now. Um, Kevin Kiner does such good music with the Clone Wars and Rebels. And and we talked about Lin-Manuel Miranda's even in there, too. His song in uh, The Force Awakens is called Jabba Flow. Oh, Jabba. <laughs> It's the song they walk into in Maz's cantina. 
it's the song that gets interrupted when she's like, Ah, Zodo! It's this real good, like, Grateful Dead sort of hippie jam. But uh, it's it's fun. I'll put it in the notes, too. So... I'm actually uh, a little surprised. I had three possible options, depending on what you guys brought up, and you didn't touch on any of them. Hmm. Um, Was it... Okay, I take back everything I said. I have thought of the most perfect piece of Star Wars music. Oh, my God. And it's Yub Nub. Yub Nub! So... <laughs> I, 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 the floor is yours, Aaron. Burying Your Dead, Kevin Kiner, which we just Absolutely. talked about. Last song you hear in the Clone Wars. It's on my Spotify yeah. liked playlist, and it is my personal rule that I never skip that song. I listen to the entire thing. Uh, it's where real men cry. <laughs> I was going to say, if you want to just feel terrible in the middle of your day, sure. The redone score for. Rogue One, which is all very John Williams-inspired, but it's not actually his music. Specifically, the theme that plays during the space battle above Scarif when they crash the two Star Destroyers together. Yeah, that musician's name is, or that composer's name is Michael Giacano. I knew that. I just didn't want to mispronounce his last name, so I wasn't even going to take a stab at it. <laughs> sure, sorry. He he. His Star Wars work is amazing. His other work is amazing too. But yeah, absolutely that. But my favorite that I'm going to lock down that I'm I was sure someone was going to get to before me. Uh, my personal favorite piece of Star Wars music is Princess Leia's theme. Oh. Amazing piece Absolutely. of music, amazing character, and Carrie Fisher was and still is such a huge inspiration to me personally uh, that it can't not be Princess Leia's theme. I knew this question was coming earlier in the day and I thought about it and I had, I had, (laughs) I'm remembering right now being like, it's Leia's theme. Didn't even remember it tonight, (laughs) but. Oh, I got you. Oh, you, 
You want to talk about Star Wars making you weep. The day she passed away, I put this song on Facebook and just wept. Yep. Exactly. Her, her theme is so beautiful and so strong, too. It's not... I think John Williams understood at a really early point that Carrie Fisher was not going to be a princess that you just go rescue. Uh, she... It is very much a like beautiful, sweet song, but it also is a really encouraging and really like upbeat building. It builds, it, it swells to a really, really beautiful, strong piece of music. And I agree with you 100%, as I have with literally every piece of Star Wars music that has been referenced. <laughs> it is, it, it's such a, you said it was a hard question, but I think it is an easy question because pretty much... 90% of the answers are the right answer. Yeah. Yub Nub is not the right answer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> tune in next week where we discuss the worst piece of Star Wars music. <laughs> that should be our next question. What's the worst piece of Star Wars music? I'm, Sit I'm, on I'm your not ideas. Gonna, I'm not gonna... Just put that on our on our audience. <laughs> yeah. Rage, rage, rage like I do with Hayden Christensen. Fair. <laughs> Turns out the worst piece of music in Star Wars was a deleted scene where Anakin sang to Padme on Naboo. <laughs> <laughs> embrace God. it. Embrace the hate. Embrace <laughs> the anger. <laughs> I'm picturing I you you made me consider a, a Star Wars done as a musical oh, and gosh. a duet but a duet between Anakin and Padme would just have to be don't go break a heart it would it would just have to be horrendous it would just have to be like missing the point sweet like lullabies and like huge red flag like loud argument songs and <laughs> uh we gotta wrap this that's, episode. That's, <laughs> that's everything I've got. We do. Alright. It's been a pleasure, everyone. Thank you for listening. And remember, the Force will be with you, always. Commence primary ignition. <laughs> Carbon Scoring is a podcast created by Taylor Davis, Ben Mackey, and Aaron Robertson. Special thanks to Nick Parker, a.k.a. Later Hands, for our opening music, and special thanks to August Reed, who created our banner image. Come talk with us by joining our Facebook group, Carbon Scoring, or following us on Reddit at rcarbonscoring. You can also email us directly at carbonscoringpod at gmail.com. That's C-A-R-B-O-N. S-C-O-R-I-N-G-P-O-D at gmail.com. 
Star Wars was created by George Lucas, its music by John Williams, and is owned by the Walt Disney Company. Hey, <laughs> 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 